Genesis chapter 17. Please open your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you a Bible. So we've come as far as uh, chapter 17. You know, we left off with Abram. He was 86 years old, right? And Hagar had borne Ishmael to Abram. And we saw the fulfillment of that promise that God uh, would, would bless Hagar for her faith to obviously go back and that there would be eventually 12 princes. We'll read about that here this evening. And as we come back on the scene in chapter 17 here, 13 years have passed. Now, 13 silent years, in other words, we don't have scripture to tell us what's happened in these 13 years. We, we don't know. We presume God has been continuing to speak to Abram, and Abram's been talking with the Lord and Sarai. And, but, but there's 13 years that pass, because by the time that we get to verse 1, Abram now is 99 years old. And Sarai is what? She's 10 years younger. She's 88 years old. So both of them well into their years maturity, if I, if I can say it that way, and clearly well beyond any type of childbearing years, right? And in one year from now, one short year, especially when you look at the 25-year span that they've been waiting on this promise, in one year from now, they will finally receive that promise there, that gift that will be given to Sarah, to Abram, the seed that will be coming forth, and his name is Isaac. So that's where we pick up tonight in verse 1 of chapter 17. And it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Almighty God, El Shaddai. Right? El Shaddai there. Walk before me and be blameless. That's the response. El Shaddai, God Almighty. What's he say? What's he ask for? For Abram to do what? To walk before him and to be blameless. Now, clearly, up to this point, we can, we can look back at Abram and we could say, have you been completely blameless, Abram? Have you walked completely with me? And I think most of us would say, no. I think in our lives, if we're being real honest here, most of us can say, have we walked blameless? No. No, we've maybe gone amiss at times or walked amiss, you might say. But God's going to do something very special here. Because at this point, we're going to learn the heart and character of Abraham. The man that we now, when we read Romans, when we read Hebrews, you know, chapter 11, the man, the man of faith, the father of faith, we are now going to be treated to learning his character and heart, the man that God is going to use here to establish these multiple or multi-nations here. And it's special because you can see the transformation. But, but I want everybody here to see one thing, and one thing in particular. This didn't happen overnight. This was 25 years in the making. Somewhere between 23 and 25 years in the making. We know that as sanctification. It's that process. It doesn't happen at once, does it? I mean, we don't accept Christ and get saved, and the next day we're blameless, Right? No, it, it's a process. It's an undoing. It's an unfolding. And it takes time. There's no way to microwave this. There's no way to microwave it. We, we have to go through it. We have to go through the trials because the trials produce perfection in us through patience. Right? So it's awesome when we see this because Abram, Abraham, he's going to finish strong. Maybe he started out so-so, you know, Egypt and everything along, along with that. But it's not always how you start, it's how you end. And I, and, I, and I think about that a lot. I mean, obviously the start's important. You need to be saved. So 
understand that in context. But when you're first saved, you don't end up immediately doing everything right in the Lord. And sometimes you can get tripped up by that. You know, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe, maybe, maybe I lied to myself. No, that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's the enemy lying. Nobody's arrived. It takes time. It's a transformation. And the Lord has to work that out of us. And I find great encouragement by this. I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged. Because if I read this, and I read about Abram's whole life over 25 years, and man, he arrived, and everything he did was perfect, and boom, he's there. I'd go, Lord, what's wrong with me? Am I really saved? Am I missing something? And this is the father of faith. And he's going to come back. And he's going to show us this transformation of heart. It's just like you and I. This is an encouraging passage for us. So we can't miss the first thing that the Lord says here in chapter 17 is the Lord appeared. Don't you wish that we would have those physical, you know, manifestations that way that Jesus would just sort of, we know he's here with us right now. To a more gathered name, he is present. When you're reading his word, you know he's here because it's his word and he's going to honor that and go forward. You know, I know sometimes we say, oh, Lord, Holy Spirit, be with us here today. I, I often don't pray that because I know he's here. It's his word. It doesn't return void. It's not as though I'm pontificating and then asking God to sort of ordain that or bless that. It's his word. He's, he's already blessed it. We just enter into the blessing. So, you know, I think of this temporary human appearance and I've often wondered, Lord, would you do that for us? Have you ever prayed that? Anybody here ever prayed that? Ask God to just, Jesus, just physically appear. Just like that incarnation. You know, physically do that. Some of us are going, no, I'm afraid. I, I, don't, I don't want that. You know? but, but don't ever be afraid of God. He is so loving and he is so gracious. And I assure you that he was, just as we've been reading in Mark or we read throughout the, all 66 love letters, these books, God is so beautiful and wonderful and loving and just full of mercy and grace that you, if he was around us, we would just go to mush and just fall in his hands in a loving worship sort of surrendered way. It wouldn't be this, yeah, yeah, I'm tough. Yeah, what's up? You got a problem with me? No, 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 no. We won't see any of that at the judgment. You know, all these guys today, oh yeah, I'm tough. I got it. You know, I don't know the new slang words, whatever they are, the new slang. I got this, right? Yeah, we'll see how that goes for you. You know, you're standing before the living God. You're going to sit there, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord. And then it says, and I love this, here, look at his heart, look at the character reference. We get the Almighty God, I am Almighty God, El Shaddai. Now, there's been questions by many scholars that come back, because it is interesting in the Hebrew, when you start to take apart El, obviously being God's name, El, God, right? We start taking it apart and you construct it. Sa, meaning who, right, El Shaddai, El Sa, and then Day, Shaddai, Day, sufficient, our all-sufficient God, right? So it, it, it can imply that, it can imply almighty. Um, Clark, scholar, he says, well, I am the all-sufficient God. He says from Shaddai to Shed, which means to pour out. So here's a God that, that's pouring out blessings. So El Shaddai, a God that pours out blessings. I mean, look at all this in the name of God. And is one of his names that's a character attribute of who he is. Look at what we learn. You know, he, he gives richly, abundantly, continually. El Shaddai. 
Then Barnhouse, another scholar, he says the Hebrew root shad means chest. It can also mean breast. Maybe, maybe it's implying that tenderness or maybe the strength of a man's chest where you get the almighty. And you think of strength in God when he says, I am your shield, right? I am your great reward. And you think about God when, when he had said that to Abram. Remember in chapter 15, verse 1, I think it was, right around verse 1, when he said, well, let's look back, actually. Was it chapter 15, verse 1, I think? He says, yeah. After these things, and the word of the Lord came to Abram in vision, saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and exceedingly great reward. Do you remember that when he said that? And Abram was worried about what? He was worried about that there was going to be ramifications from one of the kings, you know, Ketolamir, somebody coming back after him because his 318 men, God had given victory, and he took out all the kings. So he thought, maybe they're going to come back after me. It's going to be some type of retribution. But after, God, after he said that, I mean, what do you say when God says, I am your shield, I am your great reward? Are you fearing? Are, are you still, I mean, if God gives you that word, especially if you've had something happen, maybe a bad dream or, or things that are going on in your life or you're faced with a trial or situation, and God says, I got this, I am your shield. You don't go, Lord, do you mean it? Are you sure, Lord? Are you strong enough? Are you big enough, God? Do you, does, I, don't, I don't know of anybody that does that. Most of the time we're like, wow, I'm pieced out, man. I'm wrecked. The Lord's got it. And I can lay it down at his feet. So that's all applied here. Loophole, another one says, Shaddai comes from the root word Shaddad, which means to display power. So if you're taking notes, look at all these characters. Power, blessing, abundantly, continually, sufficient. And then from the Septuagint, which is obviously where we get the Greek, it was the translation from the Greek through the whole Old Testament, New Testament. If you look at the Septuagint, the LXX, we get the Greek word panakrator. And in panakrator, what that means is almighty or the one whose hand is on everything. Speaking of not only control, but protection. El Shaddai. We read it. Don't we think a lot differently now about what, when we say, and we sing the song, El Shaddai, right? Or we sing that song, doesn't it bring to our mind now a whole different? And, and God did it so simply. I am God Almighty in Hebrew, El Shaddai. So many pearls, so many rubies. He says, walk before me and be blameless. Then God simply told him what was expected of him. You know, we can only do what God expects of us when we know who he is. And we walk into his presence and we, we experience it in a personal, in a real way. You can't fake it till you make it with the Lord. You know, people say that. Fake it till you make it. or These worldly things. You can't do that with God. It's got to be a real relationship built on heartfelt love, simplicity. It's not works-based. It's, it's not contrived. It's not even strived after. You know, I think of striving when people say, oh, I'm going to strive after this. I want to do this. I want to do that. Wait a minute. God didn't cause us to strive. He didn't tell us to strive. He just... He just loved us first, and our response back was to love him. It was a simple response. There's no striving in that. It's a real way. And the word blameless literally here means whole or complete. So he's not saying, you know, be blameless without sin, as I mentioned early on, kind of like, he's saying, be whole. Where else can you be whole but in the hands of Jesus Christ? Think about it. Where else can you think in your life any other place you've ever been, any other place you've placed your, your faith and your trust, what has ever made you whole but the living God? Amen? Nothing. Nothing. 
It's all futile, as Solomon said. It's all futile. Verse 2. And I will make my covenant. Now, it's, it's interesting here. We see over 11 times, if you're, if you're going through, through all the way through verses 2 through, I think, one of the last ones in verse 21, look at how many times the Lord says, my covenant, everlasting covenant, or ever, you know, the, or, you know, this covenant, or an everlasting possession of a covenant, the covenant. Look at how many times the Lord does that. Over 11 different times that he goes through and he says, and I will make my covenant covenant. It's important to the Lord. This is important, and he's trying, to, he's trying to draw that attention through the grammar. He's showing us, my, my. Whose covenant is it? The Lord's. And what was uh, Abram's response to this covenant? Not a single thing. Nothing he had to do workspace to enter into this covenant. Now, what we're going to read tonight, though, is we're going to see a sign of the covenant. Now, this doesn't mean that it had anything to do with the fulfillment of the covenant. It was simply a, a sign of the covenant, and that's circumcision. And that's what we're going to learn about as we read it. It's, it, was, it was a response, but it wasn't... Some people try to meddle that and try to say, Oh, you see that? It is works-based. Because Abram had to go and circumcise and... you know, No, 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 no. It was my covenant. It was the Lord's covenant. And then he said, And as a sign, an outward sign of what's happening inside... What does um, Jeremiah believe and also Paul talk about? They talk about a circumcised heart. What is that? Can you see what that looks it's like? It's, it's, it's a representation of what's happening inside of us. So he says, And behold, I will make my covenant between me and you and multiply you exceedingly. Now, now he heard this again. He's heard this three times now. I mean... If I'm Abram, if you're Abram, you're kind of going, yeah, you know, it's been like 23 years. You know, I mean, that certainly is not, you know, a year or two. That's quite a bit of time. And God's continued to promise, but he says, hey, I'm going to make this covenant between me and you. And, and he's just reminding here, Abram. And, and what's interesting is he's getting ready to say, now I'm putting it in force. Now I'm gonna now I'm gonna take the covenant I made, and you're gonna see the full-fledged force of this covenant. It's going to start. Wait for it now. That's kind of like what the Lord's doing. Wait for it now. His timing's perfect. You know? And and certainly it's not that Abraham had forgotten over the three times over 25 years. He didn't forget. But maybe he had gone a little. I don't know. I don't want to say despondent, but maybe more of just, Lord, is this ever really going to happen? I mean, I'm 99 years old. In a year, I'm going to be 100. Sarai's, you know, at this point, 88 years old, going to be 89. We are so far beyond childbearing years. Lord, I know you're God, but even this, Lord. Right? I mean, you almost wonder if, if that had, you know, set in. And, and, and it had been, in fairness, it had been 13 years prior to this, right? We, we talked about there was 13 silent years between verse 16 of chapter 16 and chapter 17, verse 1. There were 13 silent years, so maybe, you know, Abram's like, well, I'm talking to you, Lord, but you haven't brought it up again. Is it still relevant? Did I, did I miss it? Did I do something where now, you know... If I disqualified myself? I don't know. All these things I think. These are the things I think. I don't know if Abram, but I, if I put myself in his position, I'm wondering. 13 years, did I, dis, 
Did I miss it? I mean, are we going to go through? Remember, he doesn't have Moses yet to go. Are we going by Kadesh Barnea again? How many times are we going to take that loop around 40 years, right? In the wilderness. He, he doesn't know about any of that. He doesn't have that as a frame of reference like you and I do where we can come back and go, yeah, we could, we could miss it sometimes. And the Lord will say, all right, one more lap. Give me a lap. You know, we'll go back around and get our hearts right. And it's fertile, you know. But it seems like he had some type of regular faith here with God, speaking to God, just where we just don't have it. And clearly he's becoming a great man of faith. But it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight. It took years of God's work. I just think of Abram, it took years of God's work. How much time does it take him to work in our lives, right? The things that we're going through, showing himself faithful. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying... So here, here immediately, he's in the presence of the Lord. He's seeing... You know, Jesus Christ right physically in front of him. That's what it means up here. It doesn't mean like, I sense his presence. It means he's there. He, he's, it's an incarnation of Jesus Christ before Bethlehem. He's right there. And he sees him in his natural response, which is the same response I think every one of us will have. What did he do? He fell on his face. Right? He fell on his face. He's probably kissing his feet, hugging him, loving. I mean, I can't imagine anything else. He fell on his face that way. Right? And he begins to talk with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant, isn't God saying this, is with you, and you shall be the father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. He says it again. So implied in the name, there's a change here. He says, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you. The king shall come from you. Can you imagine him think, hearing this going, what? Kings? I, Lord, are you talking to the right guy? I'm 100. I'm 99 at this point. You know? And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants and after you in their generations for an everlasting underline that's so important an everlasting covenant what's that mean when does an everlasting covenant expire never. never it never expires is that covenant available for you and i today it's everlasting are we considered the children of abraham if we enter into faith through christ yes we are how do we know that because paul told us so and he had a direct revelation from jesus christ he says, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants and after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant, which means, hey, Abraham, it doesn't end with you or Abraham. It's your kids, 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 kids. Multiply it out, right? And to the nth generation. To be God to you and your descendants after you. And also I give to you and your descendants after you. He's very clear. God's making sure you don't misunderstand this, Abram. It's not just you. This is going to be an everlasting covenant that will go on and on and on. And there will always be a remnant. We've seen times where Israel's gone into captivity, whether it was through Assyria, Babylon, even during, um, throughout the 900 years where Solomon came in and reigned, you know, for the hundred and whatever plus years, throughout all the way down until the time even when you had the intertestamental period, the 400 years of quiet time, and the New Testament, Jesus Christ arrives on the scene. There was bondage under Rome, under Greece, okay? You can go back and you can see this. There was always a remnant. 
every single time there's a remnant. You'll re we'll read it when we go to Nehemiah. We'll see the rebuilding of the wall. Zerubbabel. We'll read it as we go through all of it, through kings, through judges. God sent. They would repent. There were a people that had to get right with their heart, and they'd come back. In the book of Judges, right? They would send a judge. The Lord sent a judge. And they would do what? They'd repent from doing what was right in their own eyes. There was always a remnant. God has always kept that. Here we are, thousands of years later, thousands of years later from when this is written. And today, even though we see a world that was once, I would say, 70% Christian, now in Britain, you just look at Britain alone, I think it's less than 20% now that actually claim to be you know, Christian, which is scary when you look at America, because we're heading in that direction, and you see less and less people you know, professing Christ, God will always have a remnant. We even saw it when we read the book of Revelation. Remember? There were those that maybe weren't saved at that time, but they got saved after, or believed after, and they had the word of God, and there was still a remnant. God has promised there would be an everlasting covenant, and it would perpetuate. And his promises are 100% right all the time. So he says, and it's to your descendants in the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. When, when in the Middle East we see countries, we see nations, we see people groups coming against Israel, trying to get them to carve up the nation, trying to get them to carve up the boundaries and the borders, and they only occupy, I think, 15% or less than what, what God has given them that we just read back here now. I have a problem with that. I have a problem with that. That's why, you know, in Genesis chapter 12, those who bless Israel will be blessed. Those who curse Israel will be cursed. You know, and we watch some of our politicians. I, I think we have a gentleman in the office now that, that is trying to support Israel, I believe. We'll wait and see how that bears fruit. But our last administration was no friends of Israel at all. And we wonder why we heap condemnation upon ourselves. There has to be consequences in judgment. There has to be judgment for sin. And so, you know, if anybody asks you, well, why? Why do you say that? I don't even call it Palestine. Don't even, that's Israel. It's Israel. Let's call it by what it is. Because you can change the name all you want in the 1960s. The Arab countries, they can come together and they can rename it all they want. Yasser Arafat, the whole thing. It doesn't matter. It's Israel. You look at the borders and the boundaries we read. When people ask you, why do you believe that? You bring them right back to Genesis chapter 17 and you said an everlasting covenant to all descendants and it perpetuates throughout all of eternity. Nobody else has the right to give the title deed land of Israel away but God himself who redeemed a people and set them apart. Amen? Amen. All right. I want to make sure we got that settled once and for all because I know there's people that come back and, and I want to be respectful. But they come back and they say, well, wait a minute, you know, these boundaries are, you know, the Arab people there. It's like, no, no, God declared these. You don't have a problem with me. You don't have a problem with us. You need to talk to Jesus Christ. He's the one that has the title. He's the one that drew the boundaries. We're simply obeying, right? So he says, if you go back, just looking at verses 3 through 8, it's a couple of highlights. First thing he says is, no longer shall your name be called Abram, right? But your name would be Abraham. You know, I think that's to encourage Abram's faith in the promise of descendants. Because God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Abram went father of many, right? Abraham means 
father of nations. Now that must have been hard to swallow for him. Because here he is getting Abram, he's the father of many, and he has Hagar and Ishmael, right? Ishmael through Hagar, which Ishmael at this time would be about 13 years old. And so he's going, where's the many? I don't see the many. I, you know, and it must have been embarrassing, sort of, you know, because here he is, he's got this family, 318 men. That means probably had a, a team, a family of like 700 people that were in his household that he cared for, obviously. So obviously not his children, you know, but people that he cared for in his home, servants, different things. And I'm sure he was telling them, as he just as Hagar had come back and said, hey, God met with me and told me I'm to come back and you're to name Ishmael, Ishmael, right? And so I'm sure he's telling the, the, the you know, the team there, the, I call it a team, I don't know what else to say, 308, 700 people, what do you call them? That's a team. So you got the team there and he's talking to all the children and I'm sure they're going, is this, how, because in Hebrew, names mean everything. Father, many. This, this guy, Sarah and I, I, they've been talking about that promise for 25 years. He didn't even have a baby. He's a false prophet. He's a false witness. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He lost it. You know, he, it's all that walking around in Haran when he was getting out. You know, what, what's going on? Maybe it was, he was too busy worshiping the idols from his father, and he's all, you know, who knows if he's really hearing from God, right? I mean, who knows what they were saying? And Abram had to live with that. He probably, I mean, every time, Abram, can you come here? Lord, they would call him, right? Abram, can you come here? Every time his name was heard, father of many. Ugh. You know, I mean, I'm sure it was a constant reminder. And now God comes to him and says, Abraham, father of many nations. And he's like, what is going on? Why did you just do that? It was, it was bad enough. And now you just multiplied it. You just multiplied it. And everybody else, I bet, if they weren't laughing already, oh, now they got it. They're like, did you just hear what he said now? Now the old man's really lost it. He's on the back nine. He's 100 years old. He thinks he's going to have a kid. Sarai's walking around laughing on her own, just talking to herself. I mean, you know, they had to be like looking at this and going, what is going on? But something so special happens here. God prophesied. And he says, your name will be Abraham. You will be the father of many nations. And you see, there's no doubt in this. There's no doubt. And, and by making it one step further like this, he's, God's just saying, hey, you think it's difficult? Or I'll use the word impossible. It is impossible for Sarai and Abram to naturally have children at this point. He says, I'm God. Let me show you what I can do. You want to talk about the father of many nations? Isaac. And oh, by the way, Isaac's going to have Jacob. And Jacob's going to have what? How many? Twelve. Twelve, Twelve children. And we're going to watch as this thing begins to populate. Millions and millions. A hundred years, two hundred years later, Grandpa Abram, or Abraham, he is the father of many nations. Nobody was laughing then. There's times today where the Lord may give you something prophetically. You might get it directly through the Word of God and it may leap off the page and people around you are looking and going, what? You, you mean God talked you through His Bible? Come on, it's a book. They don't understand. This is God-breathed. It's dynamic. There's nothing static about it. 
and you start reading that, and, and man, it just leaps out, and you know it's for you. You know what I'm talking about. If you've ever been devotionally in the Bible, and the Lord's given you something, you know it's handpicked for you, and the Lord gives it to you, and it's like, man, you've read that a hundred times, but now all of a sudden, it sticks in your heart, and you're like, whoa. And then your next question is always, when, how, what? You know, details, details. And the Lord's like, no, easy there. I've given you what you need right now. Be faithful what I've given you. Right? And I just, I just think about that. What an encouragement. That even in our lives, if, if people shun us, laugh at us, whatever they might say, oh, you're Jesus freaks, whatever. We don't have to cower in that. We don't have to be uneasy. We don't have to turn around and, and be like, well, you know. No. We can stand boldly as Peter stood boldly with the gifting of the Holy Spirit and proclaim the good news and not make excuse for it. And when we're around other people and, and they're swearing or they're doing something, and you know what I'm talking about. There's guys sometimes around certain jobs, ladies around certain jobs, and they get foul-mouthed and they start carrying on. You know, I used to, I used to kind of you know, or I fully admit it, early on, I just kind of keep my head down or kind of move away, you know. Now I'm like, hey, would you mind not doing that? You know, it's, 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 it just grieves my spirit, you know. Or I, or I say, hey, you know, I'm just going to go over here. I walk away. Like, I may not want to, you know, if they, uh, it's not funny. They're telling a joke at the water cooler. It's in a pro. I just walk away. You know, at first they were like, oh, you know what's funny, though? After a while, because I wasn't disrespectful or rude about it, I didn't try to embarrass anybody or draw attention to them as like somebody that's not, you know, I didn't try to poke fun at them or anything like that or embarrass them. But later on, even women would come up and they would slip and say something. If I was, when I worked at Microsoft on the job, we'd be, you know, at a, at a customer meeting and afterwards, oh, I can't believe the customer there is such and such, you know, horrible things. And, and not that that happened all the time, it was rare, but if it did happen because the customer was rude or something like that, even if it was a woman, she'd say, and then, I, I'm, no exaggeration, look right at me and go, I'm sorry. I apologize. And it was like, wow. I didn't, I didn't even have to say anything. It was because I stood in boldness of the Holy Spirit and said, no. No, this isn't okay. I'm not going to laugh at the joke just so I fit in. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Abram wasn't worried what the 300 or 400 people in the family thought, 700 people if you count them all. He wasn't worried. He trusted the Lord, and he walked according to what God showed him. And he believed he was going to be a father of many nations. I like that. That's what it looks like when you're the father of faith. You know? That's it's pretty amazing. If you think about the Bible, think about the name changes that we see. Jacob, what was his name changed to? Israel, right? Genesis chapter 32, verse 28. We'll get there soon, in a year. And when he changed Simon's name to Peter, think of that, Mark chapter 3, verse 16. We already talked about that when we are in Mark, right? And then, if you remember, as I already mentioned, an everlasting possession in verse 7 there, you know, it's an everlasting possession with an everlasting covenant, an everlasting possession with an everlasting covenant. I love that. He is ours and we are his. That's what that's saying. We are a possession of God. We are blood bought. Just as the land is a possession, we are a possession. We are blood bought. We are his and he is ours. When you think of God, do you say, you know, the Lord? With the indefinite article there? 
or the definite article, excuse me, or do you say, my God, my Lord, who is he to you? And God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generation. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. I can only imagine Abraham at this, Abraham at this moment going, what? What just happened? You see, now he's paying attention. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a what? Circle that. Very important here. This is not works-based. What is it? It's a sign. It's a sign. Right? So this is a covenant that was already established, and then we're given a sign afterwards of the covenant. Between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generation. I'm going to talk a little bit about that more in a point. That is so cool eight years old and why that's so cool. Modern day technology and healthcare, this day is amazing. The eighth day, I can't, we'll get, let me finish reading. We're gonna give it, because what modern medicine has taught us, you do this on days two through five, bad. I mean, you can do it, but not recommended. Immune, I'm doing it already. Immune system, your immune system for a child is at its peak, if you will, at day eight. The same day that God says, go ahead and circumcise the foreskin. He knows his creation. He knows exactly when it was to be. And, how, and it, there's so much data on this. It's so cool. I'll, we'll, we'll get back to that in a minute. But he says, when you're eight years, you know, eight days old, among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, who, he who is born in your house and or bought with money, in other words, servant, from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought in your money must be circumcised, and my covenant, there we see it again, shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my Covenant. So again, God institutes the sign of a covenant with Abraham's descendants here. And he says, every child among you, every male child specifically, now here's something to do, Abram. I've given you something to do, Abraham. Here's your end, not of the covenant, but here's your way to demonstrate the sign of what I'm doing. And he says, this will be your sign, that you know that you have something to demonstrate the covenant. Now, clearly this was not an outward demonstration, right? I think we all understand that point. But it was representation of what was happening in the heart, of what was the Lord was doing through this covenant. It says, you shall circumcise in the flesh of your foreskins. Again, the cutting away, what is that representative of? Well, it's like we talk about the heart, the circumcision of the heart. What is it? It's cutting the junk out. There's a, I can't remember his name right now. It's escaping me. He's, um, Pastor in Calvary Chapel, we ought to have him come here. He does it. So he'll get up here. I'm going to ruin it. I'm going to wreck it for you. So now he probably won't come. But here's what he does. He turns around and he builds a potter's vessel, right? And, he's give, and the Lord just inspires him. It's beautiful. He's just talking about the potter's clay and how God has this. And he goes in and talks about how we have all this junk in our heart. You know what I mean? We do. We all have junk in our heart. 
And he goes through, and I mean, he's, he's building this. I mean, it's big. It's like, it's like this tall. I mean, it's really big, and he's building. It's beautiful, and he's, he's talking to you as he's giving the sermon, as he's giving the message, you know, line by line, verse by verse. I mean, he's, he's doing this as he's building this thing, and he's got it spinning on the electric. You've seen pottery. You know how it goes. And so he's doing this, and he's kind of shaping it, and he's talking about it. And he goes in and he's just pulling out this stuff and he throws it down and you're like, he's like, yeah, it's just like the junk in our heart, man. And he's pulling out and he's down and he gets it and it's like all the junk's pulled out and now it's beautiful and you're looking at that and you're thinking, I want it. You know, that's because it's that beautiful and it's gorgeous and it's just like, wow, I can't believe I just watched you make this with my eyes in like 30 minutes. And then right at that point, he, he turns around and he goes, yeah, and in Jeremiah, when it says the potter, and the vessel, and he goes, you know, this is beautiful, and it may look beautiful, and you may think this is what it's supposed to be. He goes, but that's not God's design for it. Boom, and he crushes it down, and you're like, ugh. And then he continues on the sermon, and he's going through, and he says, now that the junk's out of the heart, now that we got everything out, and he starts building this beautiful vase with this handle that's shaped this way, and by the end, it is exquisite. I mean, you look at this, and it's a fine piece I mean, you're just like, wow. And he's like, that's what God wants to do in our hearts. He wants to get the junk out. That circumcision of heart, it's the ripping, it's the circumcision for males, it's the ripping away the foreskin. It's, the, it's getting rid of the junk. That's what, it's, that's what it's supposed to be a sign or symbolic of. It's like our hearts when Jeremiah says it, or, <coughs> excuse me, or Paul, he says it's a ripping away of our hearts where we're just like, Man, it's just open, it's pure, it's able to be, you know, shaped. It's beautiful. I mean, God used such a beautiful <clears throat> image of that. It's awesome. So he told him to take this upon himself. This is what he was to do. And, and you got to remember, circumcision was not a known practice at this time. Nobody else had done this. Nobody else had seen anything like this. Nobody else had, had heard of this. And, and there were several reasons why it's important. First of all, you know, We've, we've come to the, I think, medical understanding now that there's hygienic reasons. Clearly, this isn't why God did it, but there, there is hygienic reasons, um, especially in the ancient world. They had done some studies, even from 1940s on, showing that there were less cases of cervical cancers for a wife if the husband was um, circumcised, right? Now, I don't know how those studies changed or, or are today. I just remember reading in my study because I was like, huh, I wonder, Lord, if you had other purposes in this. And I remember coming across that medical article and it said, yeah, there was a, a significant lowering of cervical cancer uh, when, you, when you were circumcised, as an example. So, I mean, clearly, I don't think that was the only reason. Obviously, we know it was a sign. And it also talks about, um, there's some medical evidence that speaks for procreation that there was long-lasting, like this vigor, and, and Morris, Henry Morris actually talks about it and says, it's no, it's no coincidence that the Jewish people had been having such a blessing with fertility, and he wonders if that was tied back to the hygiene and cleanliness, less um, miscarriage or different, you know, they, there's, we don't really know exactly because there's no way to determine, but, but it, it is interesting that Henry Morris had brought that up and saying, hey, maybe that explains the long-lasting generational vigor that we see in the Jewish population, in the Jewish people. But I think, again, more importantly, we understand it's the sign of the covenant. I mean, it's, it's not that we should put our trust in the flesh. We put our trust in God, right? We don't worship the works of God. We worship the God of the works. 
Amen? Because that can happen for all of us. We can get that a little bit backwards. And it says, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Right? So, you know, I th again, there's no coincidence. As I mentioned, there's an optimum level right around eight days old. Your immune system is actually at its optimum level. Macmillan also notes, scholar, he says, Newborn children have a peculiar susceptibility to bleeding between the second and fifth days of life. It seems an important blood clotting agent, I guess vitamin K, any of you nurses or doctors in here, is not formed in the normal amount until the fifth to the seventh day of life. Isn't that interesting? That even, you know how they give vitamin K shots now, I think, and they give these things? But even if they didn't, it's interesting. During, the ver uh, ver ver during, verses, uh, verses, during days two through five, that vitamin K is insufficient. Then all of a sudden, day six and seven, it gets ramped up. And then by day eight, I'm like, wow, Lord, you, which is a clotting agent. It's important. So that obviously when they're, they're circumcising the child, the child doesn't bleed out, right? Doesn't bleed out that way. Now, clearly we know they circumcise children today, two days, one day, three days. And we get that. And we, we have medicine that we use to help clot it and do different things. But, but God has already designed a way is the point. God, in, you know, perfectly designed a way for this. Right? And there's another blood clotting agent, and I'm going to screw this up, prothrombin. Close. Prothrombin. And at its highest level, infants, or, you know, precisely on the, I guess, the eighth day of life, they say that it is at its highest peak point as well. It's another blood clotting agent. So, I mean, you start looking at this and you're like, wow, this is amazing. I mean, it's really amazing, right? I mean, God knows his creation. And he knew that he would eventually have the sign, and he knew what he created, how he created it. And it's like, I'm just wrecked. I read that, and I'm like, Lord. And I'm worrying about, like, how this is going to work out or how that works out. And God's like, it's in there. I've built it. I've Follow me. Trust me. And he's like, I've got it covered. God doesn't need us to micromanage him. You know, God doesn't need us to micromanage him. And then in verse 14, we read, the uncircumcised male child, he has broken what? If he has not got circumcised, he obviously has broken my covenant. So those who reject the sign of the covenant, this is what it's talking about. Those who reject the sign of the covenant, they don't want any part of it, you know? And again, we see, unfortunately, throughout the centuries, Jews began to trust more in the signs. If you remember when Jesus came, what did they ask for? Give me a sign. And what did he say? He says, I've given you. He says, I give you no more signs. He says, except for Jonah, it was three days. He was talking about his resurrection. He says, what other sign do you need? You know, they, they wanted the sign. They began to trust only in the sign. And I think today, even, I think it's possible. You know, even today we see it in Roman Catholicism. You know, when you look at a sign or you look at something where they begin to trust more in the sign and they begin to give more to it than something else, what's a, what's a particular sacrament they'll call it in the Roman Catholic Church that they will believe that then brings about salvation? Anybody remember? Baptism. Baptism. They believe that if you are baptized as an infant, it's called infant baptism, they're not, they don't really adhere to the scriptural baptism, which is an age where you understand what you're actually proclaiming, and it's an outward profession, they believe in infant baptism. And again, if you understand early church history, you know there was a reason, and that was because there was a high infant mortality rate. And the priests, around three, 400 
were three or four hundreds were trying to figure out how to mitigate that because families were wrecked and the, you know everything was going on with all the famines and everything and so they kind of just out of the air just made it up and said hey if you baptize your child and they die then they are automatically go to heaven which technically right has nothing to do with baptism god's already said that he says if you're under the age of accountability don't we serve a gracious and loving God? Every single child under the age of accountability, which could be up to 13 years old or older, depending on the maturity level of the individual, automatically goes right to heaven because we serve a gracious God. It's in Corinthians, right? It's in Corinthians we read that. So clearly, you know, we have that, but, but the Catholic Church has sort of added on to that in baptism. And I, many of you know, I grew up Roman Catholic. I grew up Catholic, and I can remember that in second grade, you would go in and, um, you know, you did your communion, you did, you did all these other sacraments. But when you were young, you're, you're a baby, obviously, we don't remember it, your parents would take you and they had you baptized. And it was, it was a sign or a seal that you were then saved, but not the way we understand salvation today. And it's interesting because Paul sort of refutes that idea, um, even when it comes to circumcision. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. You know, so when you talk to folks and look at verse 6. You know, we don't grow any closer today because we're circumcised or not circumcised, right? We, get, we all get that, right? It's not about works. It's about faith. But if you look at Galatians or, you know, you look at Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But what is it? But faith working through love. It's not circumcision, it's not uncircumcision. Neither one avail much. Because what is it about? It's about your faith. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And in Colossians, you don't have to turn there for time, but in Colossians it says, you know, again, there's a parallel today, as I was mentioning with the Roman Catholic Church, where Paul actually ties in Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He ties together that very same thing I just brought to you, that, that baptism, infant baptism, and also, this idea of circumcision, right, are being used or manipulated in the same way. That somehow, because you have this outward sign, that somehow, now you're saved or something's transformed in you. And, and he's saying, no, don't worship the sign. Worship God. That's the point. That's the point Paul's trying to make. That's the point we see here that the Holy Spirit's making in Genesis. That it's a sign of the covenant but it's not the covenant. That's why I keep saying that over and over again, because I'm trying to really make sure we drive home that point. It's not works-based. It's never been works-based. Don't let anybody try to lie and tell you it's works-based. It's always been faith alone. Paul spends a lot of time talking about it. And then, you know, turn to Romans chapter 4. Let's look at nine, verses 9 through 16 quickly. In Romans chapter 4, look in verse 9, he tells us, does this blessedness that come upon the circumcised only or the uncircumcised also for we say that faith was accounted to abraham for righteousness we remember we read that passage already how then was it accounted while he was circumcised or was he uncircumcised so quiz quick quiz everybody was abraham circumcised or uncircumcised when it was accounted to him to righteousness he was uncircumcised right so it had nothing to do with his circumcision as though he had been accounted to him to righteousness. It was by faith and faith alone. 
He says, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision. I praise the Lord for, for the Holy Spirit putting this through Paul because as we exegete this, we can go to another passage in the Bible and it confirms exactly our proper understanding. We allow Scripture to interpret Scripture every single time. Scripture interprets Scripture. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness, of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of uncircumcision to those who not only are of circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abram had still while uncircumcised. Right? And a few more verses here. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, Remember, because the law isn't even there yet. Moses hasn't come on the scene. God hasn't given him the law yet. So once again, you can't say, well, then the law saves. So I love this passage. I mean, this is a, you talk about a passage that just goes through it and just nails it. I mean, the Lord's so good. He says, hey, look, if you're going to try to say it's circumcision, uh-uh. He wasn't even circumcised yet. Oh, by the way, you're going to say it's the law? Hey, guess what? He didn't even have the law yet. It's always been faith. Not, nothing you can ever do to earn it. Nothing you can do to work it out but through righteousness of faith. Verse 14, For if those who are in the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Right? In other words, what did you need it for? Because the law brings about wrath. From where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, what's the therefore, whenever we see a therefore in Scripture, it is of faith that it might be according to, thank you, Jesus, grace. Grace so that the promise might be sure to all, circle all there, the seed, not only to those are the law of the law, but also to those who are of faith of Abraham, who is the father of some? All. Who is Abraham the father of? All. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ with your Jewish neighbors. Bring them to passages like this. So moving to verses 15 and 16, now we're going to see the promise of the son to Abram and Sarah here, right? So verse 15, it says, Then God, back in Genesis, Then God said to Abram, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Now he's made it real clear, because up to this time, he's tried to, at least two or three times, right? Two we can remember. The first time was uh, Eleazar, right? Eleazar is going to be my heir, right, God? I, I got it figured out for you. I'm micromanaging it. I, I, I gave you a layup, Lord. Go ahead, just knock it in. And God's like, no, it's not Eleazar. I'm going to give you an heir from your body. So then Sarai and Abram concoct this idea that to go into the maid, right? The maidservant like that. They're going to have relations. And then Ishmael. And that's what you mean, right, Lord? It's Ishmael. He, he's going to be the promised seed and the Lord's like, no, no, Abram. Nope, that's not it either. It's going to be an heir of Sarah, and it's going to be an heir of Abram. Or Abram. So we see this turning around and coming up. I mean, when we look at that now, we can't help but notice that God is being very simple and yet matter of fact. Do you know he'll do that with us? If we ask him over and over again because of a lack of misunderstanding, and we pray, God will respond and give us a simple answer that we can comprehend, right? If we just ask. And that's what we see here. It's beautiful. So he goes through and he says, you're not going to call, we're not going to call her name Sarah anymore, but now Sarah. 
Now you might think there's a subtle difference and there is because Sarai signifies my lady or my princess. But it typically was given in context to the dominion of the family. It was typically only to the context of the immediate family that that would be said, okay? But Sarah, what's interesting, again, very subtle difference, again, signifies my lady, right, or my princess. Some of you love that, right? You're like, yeah, absolutely. But now what it has is no restriction. So much like Abraham was just made the father of nations, many nations, Sarah was just made the princess of many nations. And wouldn't it be right? Because what did God already tell us would come through Abraham? Kings. And if you're going to have kings, you're going to have, you know, royal line like that. You're going to have what? Princesses and princes and things like that, right? So we see that here. Now, it says, and I will bless her and also give her a son by you know, by her, right? So it would be for her. And God, again, God made it plain. It wasn't going to be through a surrogate mother situation. We're not going to see Hagar here with Ishmael. And again, Sarah's about 90 years old at this time. I mean, it's amazing. Verse 17, it says, Then Abram fell on his face and laughed. Now, this isn't a cynical laugh like when we read about Sarah in a little while where she's like laughing in the other room and she kind of gets busted because like, you know, the, the angel's right there and it's like, you're laughing. And she's like, I was not laughing. He's like, you were laughing. And she's like, no. And kind of looked away, right? That She got busted, right? No, this is simple. I mean, this is, this is not Abram laughing like that or Abraham laughing. This, this is different. This is Abraham kind of like, you know, ever the Lord tell you something or somebody share something with you? And you're like, that's crazy. And you just start laughing because you're like, only you, Lord. How else could this be done but by you? At this point, Abraham's hearing this and he's just like, is there anything too big for my God? I have no doubt that's why he's laughing. Because he's not corrected. Notice there's no rebuke in here. When Sarah laughed like that, there was a rebuke. It was a stern rebuke. Do not laugh, Sarah. Don't laugh at God. When God gives a promise, believe. We don't see any rebuke here. So this tells us in the context, this isn't something that, you know, Abraham was kind of being like, ha ha, yeah, right. No, we don't see that in the context. This is more of like a, that's crazy. Really? Like now? Like, really? Okay, Lord, you know, that's awesome. Praise you, because I don't know how else it could be done, right? And so he says, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? That is sort of funny when you think about it. You know, and so Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child. And Abram said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now, isn't that interesting, too? He thinks of his other son. He thinks, well, what about the blessing? Notice Abraham asked for the blessing for his other boy, Ishmael. Abraham asked. And God responds to that. When we pray for a blessing for our children, God hears that. And he responds. Some of you in here have children, sons and daughters. Do you pray? I've talked about it before. Do you pray for if the Lord should tarry for the future mate of your child, for their husband or, or, or wife? Are you praying that they'll marry a godly man or a godly woman? Are you praying that they'll grow up and, and just be in the word of God and that they would never depart as they should grow old and they would return if they did? I mean... Do you pray these blessings upon your children? Because here's a great example in the Bible where we see it and God honors it. And God honors it. He honors the prayer of the father and the mother. 
onto the children, onto the grandchildren, grandmas and grandpas, nieces, nephews, friend, everybody. There's no one not included in here. God honors that prayer of blessing for another. And I think that's beautiful here. So, again, turn back with me to Romans chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 17 through through 21 here, finishing up where we just were a minute ago. And it says, As it was written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls to those things which did not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, now we see the transformation God is telling us that something has happened in Abraham over these last 13 years. He is no longer weak in faith now. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. That's how we also know that he wasn't getting rebuked. His heart was right. He was laughing, but he was laughing like, only you, Lord. Only you can do the impossible. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. You see, that, that confirms it here for us. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. It wasn't unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. He was actually strengthened by this. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Do you believe that? Whatever God has promised you, he is able to perform it. Every single thing. I'm wrecked. I'm wrecked already. I just, I've read it a hundred. I'm wrecked again right now. Every single thing he promises, he is able to perform. Is there anything too big for our God? And yet, how do we, how do we become frightful or we, we become anxious or, or, or depressed or uncertain and all these things? And, and I know sometimes there's, there's medical reasons, hormonal, biological, but besides those, what do we have to fear? We have the greatest victory ever. What can you do unto me, Lord, right? Only God can do unto me. What can you do to me, you know, the evil one? Say, what can you do unto me? For God is the only one that can do. I mean, doesn't that just sort of, you know, I don't know, guys, don't you kind of, shoulders go back a little bit, stand a little straighter, head up a little bit? You're walking in the victory of Christ. Ladies, don't you kind of look up and know that you are the princess of God? You know, the princesses? And he looks at you like that, daughters of the God Most High, and how beautiful and exquisite he created each and every one of you. I mean, you are all beautiful. I mean, you are perfect to him. You are perfect in his eyes. He's given you crazy victory over it all. It's yours. Take it. Run with it. Enjoy it. Receive it. Don't walk out of here tonight without it, because he's given it to you. That's wow. How can you not get blessed by reading the Word of God? And beyond me, how people, you know, meander through life without opening this book and receiving God's promises and His truth. I, I can't comprehend it. I don't know where I'd be without Jesus Christ and His perfect Word. Hmm. And then we go and we see Ishmael, his 13-year-old boy. He puts a he asks for a blessing on him too. That's awesome. And verse 19, then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear your son. Because remember, he said, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So he's kind of bringing Ishmael into it. But, but God says, no, no, no. It's, it, the line is going to be through Sarah. Sarah's going to bear you that son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Right? 
I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. Now, now he's saying, I'm not only your descendants, but now to Isaac, I'm going to continue to establish and perpetuate that everlasting covenant like that. And with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you before. Behold, I have blessed him. You see that? Right there's the answer. Underline that. I have heard you, dads. Dads, I've heard you. Behold, I have blessed him. I did it. I did it. And will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant, again we see my, I will establish with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at, the set, at this set time next year. Now he's again given the unfolding. 25 years, 24 years at this point. Abraham, this is what's going to happen. Now it's Abraham. You're going to be the father of many nations. And now it's, get ready. I'm going to put it in force. Next year at this time, you will be with child. You see how God unfolds his promises to us that way? It's the development of faith through the trial, through the promises, moving faith to faith like that. He begins to unfold them. He does it in every one of our lives, sitting here right now or standing. Every one of our lives, he's doing the same thing. He's unfolding those promises, and they're happening, and the truth is going on, and we're sitting there, and maybe we're going, Lord, I'm not sure. Maybe we're having moments of doubt, but it's, it's strengthening us. It's strengthening us. And then once, once it happens, we get to the point, we step in that faith. He is now believed. We just read that in Romans. He's believed. It's been confirmed he believes. And now God says, now you're ready. Now you're surrendered. Now you're all in. Now I can work with you as a willing vessel. You see, that's what he's trying to do in many of our lives. He's trying to get the gunk out of us that we were talking about earlier. He's getting it out. And he, he's getting us to that point where we're pliable. Where we're able to be used that way. And it's right to that point when we're like, Lord, it's the 11th hour. I'm going to die. I don't know how much more of this I can take. And he's like, you're good. And that's when he just starts to open it. And, and we get like that, hey, it's going to happen in a year. Get ready. Because you don't have to do anything. I've done it all. And all that worrying and all that striving and all that going down to Egypt, going to, you know, Hagar, not trusting, going all these things and all the things you contrived. He goes, and now it's time. Yeah, I often wondered, and I said it last time, if he didn't take such an interesting route, how much sooner would he have received this heir? Because how much sooner would he have been emptied out of that gunk so that God could begin to use him and shape him just as he was? I bet you there's people here tonight that you're wondering, Lord, is it all out? Have you got all the gunk out? Am I, am I really at that place where you're, you're going to show me that next step you have for me? And maybe it's in your jobs. Maybe it's where you're going to live. You know, Maybe it's, it's something simple like, you know, Lord, every morning when I wake up, my first thought will be of you, and it will be praise. And my last thought will be of you, and it will be praise. And throughout the day, I will think of and pray to you continuously. I don't know. But when we step in faith like that, and the Lord opens the door, man. And that's what we see here. It's beautiful. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abram. 
So those that, or Abraham, I should say at that point, those that have wondered and said, well, was he really there? He went up. He's there, right? He's in front of him. He was there. He went up. So here we see God repeating the promise and the names, the child from Abram and Sarah. And this, the name Isaac, you know his name, it means laughter because of the great joy that children bring to their parents. We see the parents here in this case. But it also is a reminder that Abraham did laugh. <laughs> and he had knew that it was his late age, and he kind of was laughing. And he's just like, wow, Lord, nothing's too hard for you. I mean, it was, all, it was all a steady uphill climb here at this point, man. He's like, God, what do you want me to do? You want me to go what? Sacrifice? What do you want me to do? Oh, okay, no problem. God, I can do anything now with you. I've got victory. I trust you completely because I've watched how you're faithful every single time. That's the beauty of walking as a Christian, faith to faith. You know, a few years go by, 10 years, 15. All of a sudden, you're like, Lord, where do you want me to go? You want me to go to South Africa? You want me to go wherever? You want me to go to my neighborhood? You want me to go to my job? You want me to go to my boss that's an atheist that's about to do my review? And you want me to say what? That Jesus loves him? Bring it on, Lord. I'm ready. Man, what do you, really, what, whatever the Lord wants you to do, right? You're growing in faith. You're going to be faithful. Now, notice Abraham didn't strive here. He didn't contrive this himself. He wasn't going out and trying to find new and interesting ways, you know, to sort of seduce situations to happen, right? He wasn't, he wasn't saying, hey, you know, how else can I? No, God did it all. He was just faithful. He was just faithful, and I, I like that. And, and, and what I was alluding to gently and politely just there was the idea of, again, I, I see it in the church today. It's something that we need to be praying about as Christians. We're the body of Christ, right? We know there's other churches. We see it enough. People are doing a lot of things to bring people through these doors as though somehow the numbers matter. They're, they're caught up in numbers, and they're getting wrecked in the seminaries. That's the problem. You go to these seminaries, many of them, and they're, they're being taught it's about the numbers, it's about the programs, and man, it's just wrecking good people. And so they come out thinking, okay, you know, I got I to gotta grow it. I got to do it this way. I got to, you know, I got to. And they get all caught up in this. And next thing you know, they're, they're like baiting and switching people. Come on in, man. You can drink on Wednesday nights. The pastor will sit down and drink with you. We'll have a party. And then we'll do a bonfire. And, and then we'll talk about Jesus. It's like, what? What? And then the next day you lay a trip on them because now you really shouldn't be drinking anymore. And you shouldn't be doing all these things. But I thought you just said we're going to have a bonfire, man. And. We're going to come in and we're going to have a kegger and we're going to like have fun. And you, you think I'm joking, right? You think you're like looking at me. I can see some of you look like, come on. There's churches in this area that are doing this. Some of you know because you've come out of them. This isn't an exaggeration. This is, this is how far it's come. It's, it, it's there. It's not a joke. The people don't call sin, sin anymore. They call it stuff. They do, you know, I was talking to somebody else about that a while back. They call sin stuff because they don't want to offend people. Can you believe it? I mean, how, do you, how, do you, how does the Bible actually work in the heart and begin to get rid of that junk to be used if we don't talk about what God talks about, right? Not, not that we got to Bible thump anybody. There's times where Jesus has given, like tonight, it was encouraging. I mean, he's given a lot of mercy and grace, telling, teaching us pray for our children and, and trust and obey God. I mean, it's beautiful. And then there's times where we're going through passages where, man, I'm like, I got to teach this, Lord. I don't know. I can't do this. Lord, I'm the biggest hypocrite in here. Right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, not all the time. I don't want you thinking, oh, man, 
your pastor's like on Sin Alley or something. But, but man, you can never be too real. Seriously, you can never be too real. We're all working faith to faith. So back to where we were here, and, and, and we're going to get ready to close here. It says, as for Ishmael, I heard you, behold, I have blessed him. And again, it's because Abraham prayed, and I think that's just awesome. You know, turn really quick over to Genesis chapter 25. Remember, he made the comment about princes. He says, I'm going to make you 12 princes. Look at chapter 25. Look at verses 12 through 16. We're going to read here a few, in a few weeks anyway. Well, maybe a few months. Now, this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. So now we're getting the fulfilled promise, or who these families are. It says, And these were the names of the son of Ishmael by their names, according to their generation, the firstborn of Ishmael. Nebajoth, then Kedar, Abedil, or Adbil, excuse me, Misham, or Misham, Mishma, Dima, Masa, Hadar, Tema, Juter, Nephish, and Kedema. So if you add those up right there, that's 12. These were the sons of Ishmael. These were written in the names by their towns and their settlements. There it is, 12 princes according to their nations. God promised it. God did it. Just as Abram had asked for the blessing and prayed, he received it because he was faithful to ask. Parents, I'm telling you, pray for your kids. I don't care if they're prodigals, especially if they're prodigals. You pray for your kids. Some of you are going, man, my kid's 40 years old. They're, they're often, no, you pray, every day you pray for your kids. Pray for their covering, their protection, hedge about them, wisdom, to be protected from the fiery darts that they got the armor on. Pray sometimes, Lord, put the, Lord, if the kid doesn't have the armor on, God, put the armor on him. Please, Lord, put the armor on him. Give him the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, Lord. Give him his Bible, the shield of faith, right? The belt of truth, Lord. Let him walk through the door in truth, even when his friends are going to laugh at him, even when he's going to be mocked. That's okay, Lord. Let him be mocked all day long for your name's sake. But God, give him that belt of truth, please, Lord. You know what I mean? Pray for your kids that. It's beautiful. So here in verse 20, 23, So Abraham took Ishmael his son and all who were born in his house and all who were brought with his money, every male according to the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of the foreskin that very same day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. I see those little babies cry. I don't know. I can't imagine being 99. or I'd be crying like one of those little babies. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men of his house born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised. What a faith and obedience here. Now, you might be thinking, what do you mean? What's faithful about... Well, first of all, I hope nobody says what's faithful about being circumcised. I think everybody, especially at 99, gets that, right? What we see here is that God commanded, he says, go do this, this is the sign. And Abraham proves through his belief and following of this covenant that he's going to do what? He's going to obey it, right? You see, what we really believe is demonstrated in our actions. Do you guys know that? I mean, what we really believe, what other people see about what we believe is demonstrated in our actions. That's why I was mentioning earlier, if you're around a water cooler and people are making inappropriate jokes, if you sit there and laugh and you say, yeah, I'm, I'm a believer of Jesus Christ, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I love him. And so this is what believers of Christ do? 
And if you swear with a foul mouth like that and you talk like that, and you, 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 you say, well, yeah, and then what do you do on Wednesdays? Well, I go and we praise God for a half hour. We lift our hands and we, we, you praise God with the same name that you speak that filth with? Man, Lord, I never thought of it that way. I know I didn't when I was first saved. I didn't think of it that way. Somebody brought it up to me, a friend actually, had enough love for me that he turned to me and he goes, hey, some 17 years ago, whatever it was, he says, hey, that's the same mouth you praise God with? And I was like, oh, I never, I never thought about it, right? You know, some of us, and you don't, it doesn't click that way. I was like, wow, Lord, I'm, it's all it took. It was like done. I prayed, God, I don't want to speak that way anymore. Boom, gone. No struggle with swearing anymore. It was gone because it was in my mind. It, he created a picture for me of something filthy and that when I was praising him, I'm not bringing him his, my best and it was filth and it disgusted. It actually, I got disgusted by it, like actually disgusted by it. And what I think is cool is as we read here in verses 23 to 27, it says that very same day Abraham was circumcised. Some, some of you, God's called you to do certain things in your life and you're sort of like, yeah, I'll get to it next year or next year after that. No, no, no. He did what? Abraham was in, his, his obedience was complete. Every male, it says, among Abram's house. And then it also says that very same day, it was prompt. It was prompt. And it was faith-filled, if you think about it, because just, what, two chapters ago in verse 15, he was worried that there was going to be a retaliation because he had gone and attacked the, uh, King Catalomir. And he said, man, these guys are going to come back after me. They're going to try to kill me and my family. And then he does what? He incapacitates every male in his home for at least a few days, at least. Did you ever think about that? This is the same man 13 years ago that couldn't find peace, even though God says, I am your shield, I am your great reward. Man, he just was struggling to believe. Now he's like, hey, Lord, you say to do that, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to leave the consequences to you, Jesus. I love that. I mean, this is Father Abraham. This is the man we see in the Hall of Faith. Yes, he's maybe had his trials, but, but this is the man that we see in the Hall of Faith. So, you see, I believe we're less likely to fall into fear, anxiety, and sin when we, we walk with the Lord step by step. When our focus is drawn to obey God. He says, how, you've heard me say before, how do we know, how do we demonstrate we love? Remember, by what we demonstrate, our actions. How do we demonstrate that we love God? By keeping his commandments and statutes, he said. Right? That's not, that's not, some people try to play a trip, well, that's, man, that's the law. Or, or man, you're, you're laying a trip on me. No. No. If you really want to use that in context scripturally, the only time that you want to talk about the law compared to grace has to do with salvation, not sanctification. There's not a single scripture any one of you can prove in the Bible or show me that has a comparison between law and grace that has to not do with salvation. Legalism is all about salvation. The initial argument that was made and made by Paul is a salvation argument. It's a Salvinic argument. It's not an argument of sanctification. In other words, once I'm saved, right, does that mean that I no longer try to keep the commandments and statutes? Of course not. I, 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 I live, but I'm under the grace of God. I'm under the grace of God that way. So, you know, he didn't need to pray this. He, did, he didn't need to mature spiritually. It wasn't like, well, I'm not ready, Lord. I'll do this next year. God said it. He did it. I think it's, again, a wonderful example of obedience from a man that became the father of faith. 
And I think this is for you and I tonight. You know, if we obey God, simply obey God and leave the consequences to him, how amazing is it when God gets all the glory then? Because we're obeying his commandment and will. We're following his statutes, his heart. It doesn't, we don't get that glory. We don't touch that glory. He gets all of it. Isn't that awesome? Because he's worthy and deserves it all. Amen?